Today on the Matt Wall Show, Kamala Harris was the latest Democrat to visit and pay homage to uh, Jacob Blake, credibly accused rapist and serial abuser. With the canonization of men like Blake and George Floyd, among others, uh, the Me Too movement is now officially dead. And we'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including BLM fighting for racial justice by harassing elderly diners at restaurants. And in our daily cancellation, I will cancel gender reveal parties before they get us all killed. Uh, all of that and more on the way. But we start here. Kamala Harris, uh, as I said, latest high-profile Democrat to meet with and um, pay homage to Jacob Blake and his family. Uh, after speaking with them for, for an hour, uh, Harris gushed to reporters that Blake Sr., known for ranting about Jews and crackers on social media, and Blake Jr., accused of drunkenly abusing a woman over the course of several years before finally breaking into her house and raping her, are incredible. Watch. Senator, how was your meeting with the Blake family today? It's really um, wonderful. I mean, they're an incredible family. And, and what they've endured, and they just do it with such dignity and grace. And, you know, they're carrying the weight of a lot of voices on their shoulders. And what was the message that you Thank shared you. with him and, and his, his family? Just to, one, to express concern for their, you know, well-being, and, of course, for their brother and their son's well-being. Um, now, Blake family attorney Benjamin Crump, a man for whom the term ambulance chaser was invented, issued a press release after the visit providing more details about this kumbaya session. According to Crump, uh, he said in a press release, quote, Senator Harris had an inspirational and uplifting one-hour visit with Jacob Blake Jr. and his family today. She spoke individually with each family member about how they were handling the trauma and urged them to take care of their physical and mental health. In a moving moment, Jacob Jr. told Senator Harris that he was proud of her, and the senator told Jacob that she was also proud of him and how he is working through his pain. Now would be a good time to remind ourselves why Blake Jr. finds himself in a position where he, where he must work through his pain. And that reason is that a few months ago, a sobbing and trembling woman called 911 to report that Jacob Blake had allegedly broken into her home early in the morning, digitally raped her, humiliated her, then stolen her debit card and vehicle. On the day of the shooting, Blake had returned to his alleged victim's house with a knife, taken her keys, and then assaulted the police officers when they arrived in response to the woman's emergency call. This is the man that apparently swells Kamala Harris with pride when she looks upon him. And she's not alone, um, not by a long shot. Joe Biden had his own state visit with the royal family of Kenosha, Wisconsin, and spoke emotionally about the resilience and hope and optimism of the accused rapist and serial abuser. Uh, let's watch a little bit of that. I just spent an hour or more with the, with the, the family as I got off the airplane. Had an opportunity to spend some time with Jacob on the phone. He's out of ICU. We spoke for about uh, 15 minutes. His brother and two sisters, his dad and his mom on the telephone. And I've spoken to them a lot before, but we spent time together with my wife. And uh, he talked about how nothing was going to defeat him. How whether he walked again or not, he was not going to give up. We talked about a psalm in my ch our church, Father, based on the 23rd psalm. May he raise you up on eagle's wings and bear you on the breath of dawn until we... And keep you in, going, hold you in the palm of his hand that we meet again. Well, um, I think 
Alderman, what's been unleashed with a lot of people is they understand that um, fear doesn't solve problems. Only hope does. And if you keep, if you give up hope, you might as well surrender. Now, I know it can be kind of hard to understand what he's saying there. He's talking as if he just jogged 98 miles through the desert, co completely out of breath, while he's really just sitting there. But, but this is a healthy man, folks. A very, a very physically healthy man. Not, not physically falling apart before our eyes at all, okay? Uh, but anyway, uh, the media, of course, has also played a, a crucial role in Blake's canonization. On Monday, the New York Times published a lengthy article about the suspect's the, sus the suspected rapist's medical challenges, declaring that Blake can now be the, quote, rare survivor to, quote, tell his own story. And it takes the article's author, Nicholas Bogle Burroughs, about 30 sentences to finally mention that the rape charge exists, and then only mentioned as vaguely as possible, of course. He writes uh, only that Mr. Blake, quote, pleaded not guilty on Friday to three domestic charges against him, including a sexual assault account. Uh, that's it. No mention of the specific details of the charge, which are harrowing and horrifying. No mention of the knife in Blake's possession on the day of the shooting. No mention that he assaulted the police officers who came to the aid of his alleged victim. Um, the alleged victim herself gets only half a sentence of acknowledgement. She is described as, quote, the woman who reported the assault called 911. That's it. That's the end of it. We are told nothing of her condition, how she feels, how she's holding up how she's coping with seeing millionaire athletes and celebrities rally around and celebrate the man who, who she says raped, abused, and terrorized her. The New York Times just does not consider her physical or emotional state relevant. And on that point, Biden, Harris, and the rest of the Democrats agree. Now, this is quite interesting, coming from the same people who in very recent history have spoken so passionately about the need to amplify the voices of sexual violence survivors. Speaking of which, the leaders of Me Too just last week launched something called the Survivor's Agenda, which is supposed to amplify the voices of sexual violence survivors. In a video announcing the initiative just last week, the Me Too uh, warriors said that though they've made, quote, incredible strides and had some, quote, amazing wins, there is still much that must be done to ensure that society takes survivors seriously and that all survivors are heard. In fact, let's watch that video right now. It's been almost three years since millions of us raised our hands and voices to say me too. Since then, we've seen incredible strides and experienced some amazing wins. We've also learned that we have so much farther to go to bring about the change we need to see. We launched the Survivor's Agenda to center what survivors in this country care about so we can build the kind of world we all deserve. As a survivor and an attorney who has dedicated my career to seeking justice, the thing that I most want to see is institutions take survivors seriously and develop the systems that allow for justice and for healing. As a survivor, the things that I care about most are ensuring that all survivors are heard and supported, no matter their zip code, immigration status, ethnicity, or any other reason. There's power in our numbers, and an end to sexual violence needs all of us. We are resourceful, resilient, and ready. Yes, all survivors are hurt. Well, not all. We've always known that exceptions are made to this amplify their voices thing whenever a high-profile Democrat politician is accused. But over the past few months, we've learned that the exempt list also includes 
women who are allegedly brutalized by men who later die or are injured in police custody, provided, of course, that the circumstances, including the races of those involved, are politically useful to groups like BLM. George Floyd was convicted of forcing his way into a woman's home, shoving a gun into her stomach and robbing her in front of her child. Jacob Blake is credibly accused of the brutal crimes already described. These victims' voices are far from amplified. On the contrary, the very existence of these women is covered up, buried, ignored. The champions of Me Too certainly won't say their names or even acknowledge them in passing. They are shoved to the side and trampled over in the rush to lionize their abusers. There are real consequences to this. First of all, the continued emotional trauma suffered by women who must now live in a country that hails their abusers as heroes is real. Also, will the next woman confronted by a man she knows from experience to be violent and volatile hesitate to call 911, fearing that he'll get himself shot and she'll be blamed for it while society wails in grief over the tragic fate of her abuser? What if Blake's alleged victim had made that calculation? What if she had not called the police? What, what would the angry man with a knife who had already stolen her keys have done? Would he have done something terrible to her? Would he have hurt the children? Now, we can't know the answer to that question, but we do know that if things had played out that way, BLM would have nothing to say. Me too would remain quiet. The left and Democrats like Biden and Harris would just yawn and continue along their way. The woman in the Jacob Blake case, the woman who is still just the woman, nameless, is not the kind of victim that any of these groups care about. And that's because they don't care about women at all. Let's get to our five headlines. You know, if we've learned uh, any lesson over the past few months, it's that emergencies happen. And uh, if you're not prepared for the emergency before it happens, well, then it's, it's, you're in catch-up mode. And you don't want to be in, a, in the mode of trying to catch up and get prepared after the fact. So that's why you got to get ready-wise. Uh, now, is, uh, there, there's no better time than right now to be prepared with long-term nutritional food options. Ready-wise has many options like emergency meals, freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition. They also have uh, adventure meals for hiking, uh, which, I've, which I've used many times if you're out, you know, out, out uh, hiking or hunting or out in the, the woods. Uh, those are great as well, and they taste great too. ReadyWise meals are easy to prepare. All you've got to do is just add water. They have a very long shelf life, and ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable, and uh, also, like I said, the food actually tastes good. You know, due to increased demand, supplies are limited, and some items may currently be out of stock. So what that means is some urgency. Okay, you got to go to ReadyWise.com right now. You also get free shipping. Enter code Walsh at checkout, or you can call 855-475-3089. ReadyWise is a 90-day, no-questions-asked return policy, so there's no risk taking the initiative to get yourself and your family prepared today. That's ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com, promo code Walsh, to get free shipping today. Okay, number one, Black Lives Matter agitators have returned to the familiar well, uh, harassing random white people while they eat dinner. This is the, this is the, you know, one of the, one of the primary tactics now of BLM. And because BLM are very tough and brave, they focus once again on elderly people. Watch. Yeah, 
So tough. Really tough. Intimidating two elderly people. You know, big, big, tough guys. You're so strong and brave are these warriors for freedom. Oh, and by the way, um, here's BLM, same day, same city, harassing and assaulting a black McDonald's manager. Wow. Okay. Well, so apparently every time I've seen, you know, someone shout at a McDonald's manager because they got a six piece nugget instead of an eight piece nugget, uh, that was really, they were really advancing racial justice. And I didn't realize that. So when you shout at a McDonald's manager, you're advancing racial justice. You know, we hear the word hateful tossed around quite a bit. Uh, the left especially likes to call everything hateful, really. And, and most of the time, hateful really means something more like uh, has opinions that differ from my own or is more passionate about this issue than I am. That's Most of the time when someone calls something hateful, that's really what they mean. But um, what we see here with BLM this is actually finally a, a, a real hateful movement. Hateful in the most literal sense. They are filled with hate. They have only hate to offer. Um, they aren't trying to achieve anything positive. It's not like this is just a misguided way of achieving some positive goal. No, there is no positive goal. There's nothing. Harassing and intimidating old people while they eat dinner. You know, that's, that's not something you do because you have a goal in mind. It's something you do because you hate. You hate them for their race. You hate them for their age. You hate them for their assumed socioeconomic status. BLM is only hate. It is defined by hate. It hates white people. It hates police. It hates conservatives. I mean, it hates pretty much everything and everyone that doesn't bend to its whims. Uh, it hates black people, too. I mean, if, if you noticed in that in that last video we played, it was a black McDonald's manager, um, racial minority, middle class you know, as far as we know, not a conservative or Trump supporter, but they hated him too. Why? Well, because he didn't dance to their tune. That's it. You have to do exactly what BLM wants. And if you don't, then they hate you and you're an enemy and uh, you're a fascist and you're Hitler and they can do whatever they want to you. And they're morally justified in doing so. That's the attitude. Okay. Number two. Um, but wait, BLM maybe is not so bad after all. Report from the Hill reading now, it says, Despite several incidents of protests against racism and police brutality turning violent, more than 90% of the summer's protests were peaceful, according to an analysis released Thursday. The report, produced by the nonprofit Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project, identified 7,750 protests between May 26 and August 22 in 2,400 locations. The report found that about 220 became violent a term defined as demonstrators fighting with police or with counter-protesters. The term also applies to demonstrators uh, or demonstrations that resulted in property damage. In 93% of cases analyzed, there was no violence. Okay, so 
a few problems here. First of all, um, there's no reason to trust these numbers at all, period. So we could just end it there, I guess. Second, based on this definition, what we just saw there, BLMers walking around harassing and intimidating the elderly, that doesn't count as violent by, by this definition. Now it is, it is violent, but it doesn't count by this tally. To be violent by this definition, you have to assault a police officer or burn something. Or, you know, maybe kill a, you know, a random pedestrian, as has happened. Maybe that will count. I'm not sure. The third thing, though, is um, even, even putting all that aside, let's pretend that the actual figure is 7%. 7% is a lot. Okay, that's a lot. 220 violent riots that even the media will call violent in one summer? 220? And you're, you, we're supposed to be impressed with that? Oh, it was only 220. Only 220 violent riots in a summer. That's it. No, that's, that's a lot. Uh, I, I am not impressed with BLM's restraint, even if I pretended that it was only 7%. I mean, the crazy thing is, March for Life, pro-lifers, Get together, hundreds of thousands, been doing this uh, every year for, for over four decades. It's never been violent. There has, there has been 0% violence over four decades with hundreds of thousands of people gathered together. Now, that's impressive, okay? That is an impressive streak. But when you can't even put together, you know, like four days in a row of nonviolent protests, um, no, that's, you know what that tells me? That tells me this is a violent movement. That's what it tells me. By definition, 7% of your protest, your quote-unquote protests turn violent. That's a violent movement. To be nonviolent, that number needs to be 0%, 0.001% maybe. Um, okay, let's see. Number three. Now, I don't know where this is from or the context, but this apparently is a well. It's a, it's a vegan funeral for slabs of meat at the supermarket. I don't know when it happened, but it's making the rounds online. Pretty heart wrenching stuff. Let's let's take a look. Yeah, it's, that's that's. That's emotional. Um, and I join these vegans in many ways. I, I am with them. And I, too, hope that one day the sight of a murdered cow will be rare. Um, because that tastes a lot better than medium well. And but actually, this is a common vegan tactic, it turns out. I, I looked it up, and um, they, they, they do this a lot, I guess. I've never had the pleasure of witnessing it in person when I'm at the supermarket. I wish I would, but I've never seen it. But here's some more footage. I found this from an animal rights YouTube channel. And uh, in this case, they are uh, mourning and commemorating some frozen chickens. Watch.
may they rest in peace is pieces with gravy. Uh, as for the, the vegans themselves, well, you know, they say that there's a mental health crisis in America and exhibit A right there. Number four, the United Nations sent out a tweet yesterday. It said, the COVID-19 pandemic is demonstrating what we all know. Millennia of patriarchy have resulted in a male-dominated world with a male-dominated culture, which damages everyone, women, men, girls, and boys. It's demonstrating what now? How does the, what, what does the patriarchy have to do with, I mean, okay, I, I guess I, this is kind of how I remember thinking back in 2008, how the global financial crisis really demonstrated the need for more trans representation in the Australian avant-garde theater scene, uh, which is to say the two things aren't connected at all. But I suppose, I mean, really any, any event can demonstrate any point you want if you're not worried about things like making sense. Uh, number five, finally, for our most important story of the day, and uh, look, I say this in all seriousness, I've, I've of course never been a supporter of Joe Biden. I never saw myself you know, voting for him. I, I still probably won't, but um, I don't know. He just made a case for himself that even I can't ignore. He, he, he made one point that sort of made me pause and say, hmm, Maybe there is a case for voting for him. I don't know. He was being interviewed by reporters yesterday, and uh, and this is this is something that he mentioned, kind of a sales pitch for himself that I thought was pretty persuasive. Listen, step or two. Uh, what, what's your response to that? Look at how he steps, and look how I step. Watch how I run up ramps, and he stumbles down ramps. Okay, come on. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, if you like me have always planned to vote for whoever can most skillfully and swiftly navigate a ramp, then Biden might be our guy. I'm, I'm a one-issue voter, okay? And my issue is ramps. I want to know how fast can you walk down them, how confidently, how gracefully. Think of all the, pres of all the ramps that a president walks down. In a, in a, I think the latest study was a president has to walk down a ramp 14 times a week. Okay, so that's a lot of ramps. And, I mean, do you want a guy who's tripping and stumbling down the ramp? Or do you want someone who could do a cartwheel down the ramp if he wanted to? I just wish that I was alive back in the 19th century uh, to see Grover Cleveland, uh, because that man was a master of ramps. He used, to, he used to go down ramps on his hands, doing handstands. One of the all-time greats when it comes to, to ramps. Um, anyway, interesting stuff there. The ramp debate rages on, but... A little bit of uh, food for thought, something to think about with, with the Rams. I'm glad that Biden brought that up. We're going to get to our daily cancellation in just one second. But before we do, um, listen, if you uh, if it's still hot out, even though we're getting into September, a lot of places in the country, especially if you live out on the West Coast, uh, even where I live, it's, it's, it's very hot. And do you want to get into your car, you know, drive out to the auto parts store, have to deal with all of that? Why would you do that? We can just go to rockauto.com. It's so much easier than walking into a store, dealing with all the questions they're going to ask you, uh, dealing with the heat and the elements. Okay, uh, why do that? You have access to rockauto.com in your pocket. You have it at your desk. Okay, you've got a million ways these days to access rockauto.com. That's all you got to do. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do or like so many other industries do. RockAuto.com, uh, what I love about it, family business. It's an online business, but it's also a family business. They've been doing this for 20 years. 
And you can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, the prices. Again, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. So if, if, you're, if you find it at rockauto.com, you can be confident this is the best price you're going to get for this thing anywhere. So just buy it there. rockauto.com, unique, easy to navigate catalog, even easy for someone like me. Amazing selection, low prices, all the parts you're ever going to need. rockauto.com. So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck. And write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So that they know that we sent you. Let's get to our daily cancellation. So today for our daily cancellation, we're going to be canceling gender reveal parties. Um, because it's happened once again. According to the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, some pyrotechnics used during a gender reveal party caused a forest fire. And the people responsible will face severe penalties. Here's the press release. It says... Cal Fire law enforcement has determined the El Dorado fire burning near Oak Glen in San Bernardino County was caused by a smoke-generating pyrotechnic device used during a gender reveal party. The fire began at 10.23 a.m. on Saturday, uh, on September 5th, 2020, in the El Dorado Ranch Park. Cal Fire reminds the public that with the dry conditions and critical fire weather, it doesn't take much to start a wildfire. Those responsible for starting fires due to negligence or illegal activity can be financially responsible and criminally responsible. So, uh, so so far, 7,000 acres of land have been incinerated because a couple of narcissists wanted to announce their baby's gender with fireworks. Instead of announcing it by just, you know, announcing it, saying something like, hey, we're having a girl. But no, they needed pink flames to rain down from the sky, lighting up the heavens and declaring their news unto the whole earth. Uh, and this is not a new thing, by the way. Gender reveal parties seem to start forest fires every year. In total, about 98 million square miles have been burned because of gender reveal parties, and two and a half billion people have died. Those are rough estimates. Don't Google it. Just, just go with it for now. The main point is simply that fires are no fires. Gender reveal parties are stupid, extremely stupid, for many reasons. But here's the main one. And I don't mean to disenchant or demoralize you with this information, but, but here it is. Nobody cares about the gender of your baby. Nobody is on pins and needles needing to know. You might be, but nobody else is. I've got like over 20 nieces and nephews and counting, and that, that's one figure that is not an exaggeration. Um, I, I didn't have a preference for the gender for any one of them. I didn't care that much. I'm interested to know, but it would be, it would be really weird if my sister said to me, Hey, we're having another baby. And I, and I went, Oh boy or girl. And she said, well, if you want to know, come to the park next Friday at two 30, bring a long chair. Uh, show starts at three. What? Why don't you just tell me? I, like, I'm not that interested. I'll, I'll wait for the baptism if that's how it's going to be. But see, the gender reveal party wouldn't bother me as much if it weren't part of a larger trend. And the trend is people in the modern world deciding they need about 52 public celebrations and gift-giving occasions for every milestone. Milestones that used to be normal and celebrated, you know, once, if at all. Uh, and, and, and with an intimate circle of family and very close friends. But now we've decided the, that these things which humans have been doing for millennia are, when we do them anyway historically momentous occasions and legions of angels must come from on high to sound the trumpet and sing choruses of hallelujahs. Consider how many public celebrations a modern couple might have before they've even made it around the first turn on the Monopoly board of life. First, they have their engagement party, then a bridal shower, then the bachelor party, then the bachelorette party, then the rehearsal dinner, the wedding, the wedding reception, the post-wedding brunch. 
If you're counting at home, that's eight parties just because these egomaniacs are getting married. Meanwhile, nobody cares that much. I mean, we care, but not eight parties worth of caring. And they aren't done yet. Not by a long shot. When they decide to have a child, there's the gender reveal party. There's the baby shower, followed now by the man shower, which is a baby shower for men, or more precisely for individuals who might be mistaken for men. Uh, Then the mother gets a push present simply for pushing the baby out. And uh, after that, there is, I'm told, something called a sip and see, which is a party where people come and see the baby. We used to call that seeing the baby. Now it's a sip and see. Make sure to bring a present. This will be the 15th time you give these psychotic materialists a present in the past year and a half. And at some point, there's going to be a first wedding anniversary party because that also is a thing that people do now, by the way, apparently. I don't know if you knew that. A party to congratulate themselves for not getting divorced within the first 12 months of taking their vows. Uh, People have parties for that now. And there will be, you know, the big first birthday party for the child followed, I'm sure, not far behind by the divorce party. And then another engagement party and so on and on and on until we are all saved by the sweet release of death. Of course, with our luck, when we die, it will, it will turn out that, you know, there's a big reveal, reveal party for each soul to find out if they're going to heaven or hell. Like, bite into the cupcake. If it's red inside and tastes like sulfur, I hope you packed your summer clothes. Um, and it's kind of strange when you think about it, because by the amount of, of, of celebrating we do for these ordinary life events, you'd think that we, in our culture, have a serious and profound appreciation for their personal importance and personal magnitude. But that doesn't seem to be the case. I don't look around at our society and notice a deep reverence for marriage and parenthood. I notice, in fact, the exact opposite. And when you think a little harder about it, you realize that it kind of makes sense. These parties are not a reflection of our appreciation for these institutions and milestones. That's because the parties don't really celebrate the institutions and milestones themselves. The parties are a celebration of the individuals. The individuals are throwing themselves expensive parties to give you an opportunity to celebrate them as individuals. This also explains why all of these baby and pregnancy celebrations are popular in well-off liberal areas where almost everyone is pro-abortion. What are they doing celebrating what they believe to be a parasitic infestation? Well, again, They aren't celebrating the pregnancy or the baby. It's the woman, the person. They are gathering to stroke her ego. Rather, she has called this gathering. She has summoned them for the solemn task of kissing her ass. Which these days also, of course, is what almost the entire wedding reception is designed to do as well. Uh, We joke about women being bridezillas on their wedding day. And we excuse it by saying, well, it's her big day. But first of all, Just because it's your big day, why should that be an excuse to act like a raging sociopath? I don't even tolerate that behavior from my three-year-old on his birthday. You're a grown woman, allegedly. Pull yourself together. Also, it's not just your big day, okay? It's supposed to be a day for you and the groom and the family. It's supposed to really be a day celebrating the marriage, not you, the marriage. If you're seeing it as a day about you, That's a bad sign. And that's why I would recommend to any man out there, if you're engaged and your bride-to-be is already giving off bridezilla vibes, maybe think about getting out now while you still can. Bridezillas become wifezillas. Women who want everything to be about them on their wedding day, 
will, it turns out, bring that attitude with them into the marriage. When it comes to her narcissism and self-involvement, the wedding is just the appetizer. You don't want to see the main course. And dessert, well, dessert is a 70-30 custody arrangement. Uh, Now, I was fortunate that I didn't have to learn this lesson the hard way. My wife was anything but a bridezilla, yet there are a lot of bridezillas and brozillas out there. Our culture of self-worship is pretty much designed to create them, build them, churn them out like an assembly line. And all of the -the over-the-top, self-congratulatory pageantry is both a symptom and a cause of the problem. So, I'm canceling all gender reveals and other superfluous celebrations. You will be permitted one wedding reception no more than three hours in length, and that's the only public celebration you get until your 50th wedding anniversary. Needless to say, when I am theocratic dictator, this will be a matter of law. Violators will be thrown into a volcano, and that will be a cause for public celebration. We'll leave it there. Uh, Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, And our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The Bible says, woe unto them who call evil good and good evil, which is bad news for the Democrats because that's their whole campaign. We'll talk about it on The Andrew Claven Show.